Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I mean, I want to reassure you, I I couldn't smell anything. Thank the, you. Mate. The, my reaction was not based on smell at all. What three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island? This is what I'm asking wrestling's best: in the ring, around the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. Hello, I'm Ben. And I'm Peter. And this is an ad for our video game channel, Triple Jump. Here's a highlight reel. Turn it down! My grandma died while I played this. 80%. That's for Steve Irwin. Here, here. Think stroke. Now. No, you don't think stroke. Do a stroke. No. Now. That's enough, Peter. A sick making zero. It's a zero! <laughs> Just like Skyrim. Mike is the biggest idiot on the planet. Look at him, this clumsy idiot. What are you doing? I dub thee. Yeah. I'm Dick Machinko. Sorry, who? I'm a Dick Machinko. Sockets! Hello, yes, this is Ruth. Can I help you with your challenge today? Hello? Sorry, is that Raw's boss? Hello? Hello, yes, you're Ruth's boss. Hello, can I help you today? Is there a delay? Hello? Is that Raw's boss? Is that rules? Hello, yes, this is rules, bus. Watch me kickflip, Peter. Whoa! Still doing it. I'm still under um, the table. I'm still landing. Come over for the sleepover. Make sure you bring your action girls save data, though. I wouldn't be without it. Ben Potter from Off of Triple Jump. Excellent. Hello. Welcome to the island, sir. How do we find you today? Yeah, I'm okay, thank you. I'd like to apologise for my headway. You can't actually see it, Tom, because we couldn't get my camera to work on Skype. But I'm wearing a hat to sort of disguise oh. my dishevelled quarantine hair. <laughs> We've all got uh, quarantine hair now, mate. It's fine. What was the, um, when was the last time you had a haircut? Oh, God. Uh, probably, I want to say the end of February. Um, and I have my hair cut quite short, so. So now you're feeling it, right? It doesn't bode well. Yeah, it doesn't do very well over long periods of time. Does your hair grow out or down? What a question. I don't, I, know, know, we're... I don't even know what that means. <laughs> uh, well, because I find that with mine, like if, if mine grew down, it would be mm -hmm. all right. But it's more the fact that it grows out. So there, I just kind of get these fluffy bits at the side, which are which which are thankfully okay today. But they okay. they're coming, they're coming. They're I can feel them. There. Okay. Mm. Um, well, usually I, I get like a this is this is the really fun stuff here. I get like a number two on the back and sides, so Ooh, I get it cut nice. really short. Um, 
So when my hair grows, it's sort of I, my hair gets curly, as you, as you can see here at the front. My hair, my my hair when I was a when I was a little babby, was uh, was curly like a sheep, and it sort of straightened out over time. But when it gets long, it does get curly at the front. Um, ah. So yeah, it's a bit. Uh, it kind of just does whatever it wants, really. Have you ever been brave enough to get a number one? No. No, no, I was uh, honestly a little bit hesitant about getting a number two, but my very nice Geordie Barber slash life coach, who gives me a lot of life advice whenever I go in there, uh, convinced me that it was a good idea. And I actually, I, I, I liked it, so I stuck with it. And now every time I go in, he, he asks me, would you like the regular? And he has forgotten what he suggested initially, so I, I still have to say it was a number two. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, so I'm nearly there with him, but not quite. Do you, does the barber know what you do for a living? Because Vaguely. I ask this because I always find it's very difficult to explain. Yeah. Sort of the jobs that we do. It's, it's the same as trying to explain it to a grandparent or, or something yeah. like that. Um, I, I vaguely at times said I work in media online uh, <laughs> down near the quayside or something. And, and I, I had him before I moved away to work at Yogscast for a year. Um, and and I just I came back and then went back to him and he was like oh hi you're right I was like yeah it's been a year and he's like has it has it been a year I'm like yeah yeah I'm now working at a different place like, oh oh yeah, yeah. so I think he I don't think he really cares but uh, I tried to explain anyway Ben we are sending you on an island not really because everything's shut <sighs> but metaphorically we are sending you onto an island and we're going to burn for you uh, a DVD uh, featuring three of your favourite wrestling matches. Now, people who may have come over here from Triple Jump uh, know that you are a bit of a wrestling fan, aren't you? Mm -hmm. I am, yes, very much When so. did you become a wrestling fan? Well, it's, it's, it's sort of a long and winding story and that's kind of reflected in my choices of wrestling matches because uh, a couple of them aren't what you would necessarily call five-star matches, but they are significant to me because they have strong uh, nostalgic importance like they 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 represent a point in in my life where I was like oh yeah wrestling oh yeah so that they, they may be, some of them are a bit obscure but I didn't have sky and I didn't have the know-how about how to watch wrestling but I was very much aware of it uh, in in the late 90s and uh, you know people at school used to wear stone cold shirts and and rock shirts and stuff like that um, but then it was really the early, early sort of 2000s, the, uh, the ruthless aggression era when I got properly into it because my cousins watched it and they had DVDs and they had the games and I would watch when I went to friends houses who had sky would like stay up and watch it when it was on. And then I dropped off again. And then it wasn't until about 2011, 2012, until I properly full-time started watching wrestling and going to WWE live events in the UK and then just kind of got obsessed really um but it's it's been it's been a long journey to get there though what do you think the appeal is for you for wrestling i don't know it's it's because it's it's really silly isn't it but it's <laughs> yes. there's something very powerful about it um when it's when it feels real it's it's incredible and uh, and and I, as i just said to you before we started recording i uh, i watched the the desert island graps you did with jack and he had a similar reaction to, to, to me and I think a lot of other people to, to CM Punk and how he sort of broke that fourth wall in a way that actually made wrestling seem really cool and edgy again. 
and, uh, and and I think it was that that hooked me. And then as I learned more about wrestling and how it worked and how it was put together, uh, I, I just sort of gained a, a, a respect for the art form and, and really, you know, listening to podcasts and Colt Cabana and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just sort of, it became something of an obsession, you know, just watching videos and reading Wikipedia articles and stuff like that. And it just, it was all just really interesting. And I st I'm still not entirely sure why, <laughs> why that is. <laughs> I think you summed up nicely at the beginning. It's the silliness of it. Wrestling is, is at its best when it's inherently nonsense. Mm. Always believe mm. that. Yeah. But we're going to have a look at some of your favourites, and, and you've really set the bar quite nicely for this, so I'm intrigued. Your first match for your DVD, Ben, what are we having? Okay, this is a weird one. This is a match from uh, No Way Out, Texas, In Your House, 1998. Oh! And it's Cactus Jack, Chainsaw Charlie, Owen Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin versus the New Age Outlaws, Savio Vega and Triple H with China. <laughs> This uh, is a quality choice. Yeah, so I don't. You'll have to tell me if this is a match of some renown because I it took intensive googling to find out what it was. Uh, right. Because I had a VHS that I bought from a charity shop uh, with this match on it, and uh, it, it turns out it was No Way Out, uh, No Way Out Texas, or it says No Way Out of Texas. I think it may be what it was called. In your house, nineteen ninety eight. Uh, and, uh, and and I watched it front to back several times, and I remember it had Kane on the cover, which is what helped me identify what it was in the end when I was trying to work out what it was from. <laughs> but I distinctly remember Mark Miro falling out with Sable. I remember <laughs> Kane being really frightening and thinking, oh my God, what is that Vader man? He's massive. <laughs> and uh, And I also remember Chainsaw Charlie being slammed on top of some chairs, which I just thought was the most unbelievable thing I'd ever seen. Like how how is he how is he even walking? That's that's <laughs> ridiculous. What a what a silly thing to put yourself through. Incredible. <laughs> that, uh, that main event is of renowned <clears throat> because it's sort it? of the last stop on the, the road to the beginning of the Attitude Era, essentially. This is the last service station <clears throat> of the new generation era, essentially. Mm -hmm. So there is some some significance to it. And also there is significance in this, in that it includes the possibly the, the worst reveal of a mystery partner in history. Right. Because uh, Savio Vega was a replacement for Shawn Michaels. <laughs> uh, Shawn Michaels meant to be in that match, but Shawn Michaels' back was absolutely paggered uh, after uh, the Royal Rumble in January. So they kept him out of the ring until WrestleMania so he could do the thing with Steve Austin. But they had to get through this kind of eight-man tag team match. So they said, oh, it's going to be a mystery tag team partner. And they hyped it as if it was going to be a big deal. So right. when Savio Vega came out, uh, there was a huge round of apathy that bounced mm -hmm. around the room. And uh, but then it still went on to be a, a, a really solid eight-man tag, in my recollection, and, and clearly in yours as well. Yeah, no, I, th I think you're absolutely right there. I I, I certainly heard the uh, the reaction of the crowd to Savio Vega coming out. I did think it was a bit of a strange choice. Um, <laughs> When I was skipping through, the WWE Network's amazing, isn't it? When I was skipping oh, yeah. through the matches to get to the one I wanted, there were, there were segments titled Triple H Teases the Mystery Partner. And then, you know, <laughs> nothing against Savio Vega, of course, but that's clearly what the crowd weren't expecting. Uh, but it, it is interesting to hear that that is, the, as you say, the last stop on the way to the, to the Attitude Era because uh, Triple H was, was introduced as Triple H Hunter Hearst Helmsley uh, the winner of the 1997 King of the Ring, 
which is it's strange, you know, in, in hindsight, because you, you always think of Triple H as just Triple H. Uh, but it, it's it seems like, yeah, it's just it's just a strange time, just a strange time when this uh, pay-per-view took place. So you were you'd be you'd obviously become a wrestling fan again um, when you found this VHS. How, how, how long would you have been into your wrestling fandom when you discovered it? Um, this might have been the the first proper exposure I had. Because wrestling was something that was, as I said, I never really had access to just at home. And my parents didn't dislike it uh, or, or sort of forbid me from watching it. But I just didn't, I, I had no avenue to, to, to consume wrestling in, in, any, in any way that I was aware of. Um, and as I said, people at school liked watching wrestling and, and would talk about it. And, you know, there was, there was that boy who brought in his pretend title belt you know everyone had one of those in their school and uh i just i i I, there was something about it clearly maybe it was just because i didn't really know what it was and i didn't know how how real it was or anything like that that made it so alluring um i did actually ask for a a a wrestling bedspread uh for christmas once in the 90s and uh weirdly i didn't get it and I think it was just because my parents just 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 thought, wow, he doesn't know. I'd never watched wrestling, but I wanted a wrestling bedspread, so it already had a power over me, even though I hadn't really seen any wrestling. Uh, so it was it was really this VHS that that gave me the opportunity to 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 properly sit down and watch like these these just larger than life people uh, do their thing. With um, with that VHS, so it was from a charity shop. What else did you buy from the charity shop that day? That day, I mean, or in general, is it one? Is it one you regularly frequent? Because it's always nice to have one that you know is always stocked up with stuff that you like. Oh, you got you got to love an Oxfam, haven't you, Tom? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Oxfam, absolutely. Right? Love an Oxfam. I don't. I didn't buy too much from charity. Sh- I bought a lot of ties from charity shops. Actually, <laughs> uh, when I was in uh, sixth form. We're allowed to uh, wear what we wanted, but on, I think that it was like Mondays or Fridays, we had to come in dressed up in shirts and ties and stuff. And I used to just buy the most ridiculous ties I could find from charity shops. Like there was, I had one with Taz on it and uh, I got a family guy tie as well that I wore for school picture day, which is just, it's kind of upsetting to look back on really. But uh, I've mainly bought ties from charity shops. I do remember one point I went into that Oxfam and uh, and there was a boxed Game Boy Color in it for a fiver, and I didn't buy it. And then I went home and I thought about it. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm getting choked up. <laughs> I went home and thought about it, and then I went back the next day, and it was gone. Oh, no, mate. And it was, uh, it was devastated. Absolutely oh, inconsolable. That does bring us nicely to the other love in your life, which is video games. When did video games become an influence to you, sir? So my aunt had an original Game Boy, the big uh, chunky grey one in the uh, in the early 90s, and she had various games for it. And I, I, I seem to remember borrowing that a lot and, uh, and, and playing on that a lot. But uh, her her son, my cousin, didn't live that far away from uh, where where me and my family lived, only like a, a couple of villages away. And uh, he had all sorts of consoles in the 90s. He had the Nintendo 64, he had a Mega Drive, and then he ended up getting the PS1 and uh, obviously then the PS2, way before I, I got them. 
um, and uh, I used to go over to his quite a lot and uh, and play play games at his house and watch him play games and uh, I then ended up getting a, a Game Boy Color and I have a lot of Game Boy Colors now I've sort of amassed something of a collection of them uh, but I got a, a copy of, of Pokemon Blue and uh, Game Boy Color and that sort of that was my first thing that I had and that kickstarted just a, an, an obsession with games really it, it's just a pastime and uh, and a passion as well and, Pokemon uh, Blue just yeah. just the important question regarding that is um, which Pokemon did you pick first? Squirtle okay noted noted that'll, I mean, that'll was, divide the audience the, into three he's on the cover so <laughs> easy, <laughs> easy choice for me <laughs> Um, from from there, obviously you 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 go on to do many more things in the in the in the realm of video gaming. But growing up, uh, Christmas is always an interesting time for for getting video games and such. Mm. Was there ever a Christmas where you got a particular video game that blew your mind? Well, the the Game Boy and Pokemon Blue was was a Christmas present, and I remember oh, yeah. I remember getting that, and I remember playing that. But I think the perhaps a funnier Christmas memory because from that point on. I bought everything gaming related myself. I, I saved up and I, I earned money and I, I, I bought the things that I had for, for myself. But uh, one Christmas memory I have is when I got my PS1, which was several years after it came out because my parents were not particularly well off. And uh, despite how I sound, right? Which is a fun <laughs> misconception a lot of people have on the internet. It's just where I'm from. <laughs> uh, but they, they, we got a PS1, I think, from some sort of online dodgy marketplace. And it arrived uh, in, in like a, a cardboard box, all parcel taped up. And it was, it was from Father Christmas, of course. And uh, I opened it up and it had games in it like uh, GTA and uh, I think Resident Evil and stuff like that. And I remember my dad just sort of grabbing them and going, oh, no, I think... I think Father Christmas might have been a bit confused. Uh, we'll just we'll just take these we'll just take these out of here so you can't play them. Uh, what we'll do? I think there was a copy of Spyro in there, which was you know perfect. Uh, but then I I remember after that going to uh, Electronics Boutique and trading them all in, and in a bargain bin there was a copy of Final Fantasy VII, which is my favourite game ever. And uh, my mum picked it up, and it was probably because it was quite thick, because it has three discs in it, that it looked like good value. But she showed it to me and said, oh, you know, this, this looks pretty good. Why don't you get this? And I'm like, oh, okay. And I got that, and it ended up being one of you know, the best games I've ever played. Uh, but that's <laughs> It's Christmas horrifying there. to think that, that that game would be in a bargain bin. Yeah, right. Uh, I can't remember. I, I don't know when it must have been then for it to have reduced in price so much that it was in the bargain bin there. Uh, but it was uh, that that all came because Father Christmas got a bit confused with the uh, with the games that came with with the PS One that he built, you know, for me. Obviously, as obviously. he does. This started a, a bit of a thing, an obsession with you and the PlayStation as well. If I said to you PlayStation Radio, mm. what could you tell me about that? Uh, PlayStation Radio uh, UK was uh, originally called PlayStation Chat which you'll see is reflected in my Skype handle, uh, which mm -hmm. I still have. Uh, that was started by myself and uh, a complete stranger I'd, I'd never met at that point uh, called Simon, who's, who's a, who is now counted as a very old friend of mine. But uh, we were just both too 
young lads who were really passionate about not only PlayStation, but about games journalism and the games industry and wanted to just do something. We were too young to work in it, really. Uh, so we just started this podcast where we talked about games and uh, I do it far less frequently now just because I've managed to somehow turn it into a career but <laughs> at the time it was a weekly podcast and it, it started it in 2009 so it's it's been over a decade now since I started doing that and uh, we changed the name to PlayStation Radio at, at some point along the way I think when I started university and I got a better understanding of how because I went to university to do radio production. Of course, you know, not, you know a lot about radio yourself. Uh, but uh, it, was, uh, it was there where I picked up a lot of skills in terms of editing and, uh, and learning how a radio show should be structured. So we decided to rebrand and give it another go. And we interviewed a load of uh, quite big voice actors, Nolan North and Troy Baker and uh, Richard McGonagall and a few others as well uh, attended... Uh, somehow managed to worm our way into going to press events and stuff as just teenagers. And we just stood out like a sore thumb because we shouldn't have been there. Um, but but it you was, did it, though. That's amazing, though. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was something... When I look back, I was like, God, I had some, I had some balls to just email some <laughs> PR companies, didn't I, and just sort of demand stuff. This was before the sort of proper rise of gaming YouTube as well, where now everyone who has a YouTube channel asks for press accreditation. Uh, no matter how big it is, uh, but back then, because we, you know, we had a, a website, we sort of looked legit, so we could go and do this stuff, and it ended up being great practice and uh, great experience for for ultimately what I then went on to do. Uh, but certainly, to begin with, it was just just being a bit of a snarky ass about games on the internet for in, in my spare time outside of school. But you were, um, if you were podcasting in 2009, that's kind of still very ahead of the curve when it comes to podcasting, because now, like, everybody podcasts everywhere, anywhere. But you, you were kind of on the ground floor a little bit with that. It's like, where would the idea have come from to, to launch into podcasting? I always, I listened to a lot of podcasts then anyway, and mm. I liked the idea of doing one myself because I, I liked I liked games and I liked talking about games and uh, I I was I think at that point I was doing hospital radio as well in in my spare time uh, volunteering there and uh, and I was just searching around and I came just for PlayStation podcasts I think because as you said it was quite early days for podcasts in general and there weren't many PlayStation specific podcasts and I found one that was just called PlayStation Trophies and it was it was it was Simon and it was just a very very timid nervous sounding young man saying this is the first episode if anyone wants to uh, like I don't know join me and I still have the original <laughs> recording because it's kind of it's really embarrassing actually uh, for him and uh, and so I just sent him an email and and then a few weeks later we we got set up and just started going from there uh, and uh, as you say, he's still a close friend of yours. What's Simon doing now? Uh, Simon works for, um, I can't remember the specific company, but he, he works making uh, videos about the armed forces and uh, various others. He does a lot of contractual work with the armed forces, uh, making videos going all across the world, 
covering uh, various topics and making documentaries, things like that. So he's uh, he's managed to parlay probably the skills that we both cultivated doing this stupid PlayStation podcast in a completely different field, but using the same principles that we that we both sort of learned together. Now, uh, you've <clears throat> since you, you had such success with Simon doing the podcast and things like that, and um, a lot of people, of course, when you say Ben and Simon, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Ben and Peter, however, mm. that's that, that feels a bit more more normal. Uh, how did you come to meet Peter? Well, I met Peter Austin at What Culture, and uh, I was up for my one week trial. Uh, I'd, I think I'd already been offered a full-time job and I'd been freelancing for maybe a couple of months. And uh, I came up for a one-week trial and I was just put on a, a gaming edit. And I didn't actually interact with Peter very much at all there, but that's where I first met him. And I just sort of, I showed up and uh, and, and I was just, I mean, that place was chaos. I may, I imagine it's probably slightly better now, but it was certainly just madness then. And nobody knew I was arriving or, or meant to be there. And uh, the same thing rang true for when I actually started full time. I'd moved the length of the country all the way up from London to Newcastle. And, uh, and I, I came in on my first day and nobody knew that I was meant to be there. And I asked and, and, and I went up to Peter's desk because I remembered him from the trial. And he was extremely helpful and he helped sort me out with a desk and a computer and uh, I just started doing little bits and pieces, and uh, and we, he he and his now fiance Amy, they really took care of me when I first moved up here because I didn't know anyone, and everyone was really lovely and really friendly. But uh, Peter and Amy sort of went ab- above and beyond, and uh, you know they invited me over, and we hung out a lot, and they would come over and hang out with me, and it was just it was really nice. They were they were just really lovely people, and and from there. Uh, you know, uh, Scott, Peter and I, who was sort of the only people working on the gaming channel at that point. And my attention was drawn in several directions because I was mainly doing stuff on the main What Culture channel with film and TV and stuff. Um, but we we all wanted to do more than just lists on the gaming channel. And uh, we sort of started brainstorming ideas. And it was from there that, that Peter and I started doing Worst Games Ever and started appearing in more videos sort of as a, as, as a duo. So were you very much left to your own devices with when it came to what culture gaming? Yes. Yeah, when it came to what culture gaming, yes. I am frustrated in hindsight about a lot of stuff, uh, but mainly that my attention was so uh, so divided because I was sort of the boss's every man in that I would I would be put on on anything that I was needed to be put on and that was a compliment in a way because he he felt that I could just fit in everywhere and just sort of adapt um you know I did stuff occasionally on the wrestling channel and I did the vast majority of my voiceovers on the main channel I did towards the end I did almost nothing on the gaming channel at all I just didn't have time to do anything uh, but it was mainly there was there was a real sense that and I know that this is different now but when we were there there was a real sense that there was nobody cared about the gaming channel in management. Nobody cared. Just let them do their own thing. And whenever it came down to uh, sort of a, a choice of can can we do this, please? It was how much time is that going to take? Because we'd rather you be doing this on another channel. And in spite of all of that, the gaming channel now is doing incredibly well. And that is that is a testament to the hard work of the people who are still there. Um, but certainly when I was there, yeah, they didn't they didn't really care about the gaming channel. 
They didn't care. It was Peter's hard work and Scott's hard work and Jules's hard work and my occasional hard work when I could help out uh, that, that helped establish it. But that was in spite of being told to do other things that were deemed more important. I think it says a lot to 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 your ability in, in an office like that, the fact that you were pulled in so many different ways. I know it's frustrating. I can tell uh, even even via via the social distancing how frustrated you were <laughs> by all that. Um, but it's it says it's a it's a it's a testament to you, your talent. The fact that you're pulled in so many different directions. Oh, thank you, man. So I'd see it as, see it as a compliment. See as, I'm pretty sure the first time I heard you was doing voiceovers on a wrestling video. And, and, and my, my, my first thought was, and, and you probably get this a fair bit, this guy sounds like Matt Berry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I, I, it was so difficult. And I'm sure you've gone through exactly the same thing coming into Cultaholic. But when I arrived at What Culture, it was the land of... Adam Blompier and Adam Pacitti and Jack the Jobber and King Ross and and Sam the Shredditor, you know, and uh, and so on. It was it was a land of big personalities uh, that were already mm. established. And I was coming in there with absolutely no fanfare whatsoever. And I needed something, you know, you need some something not I don't want to call it a gimmick, but you need something to sort of make yourself stand out like, oh, it's, it's that guy. It's the guy who does that. And I could quite easily slip into a Matt Berry style voice while doing voiceover. And I often did when I was at What Culture because that was just a thing that was easy for me to do. And it was like, well, that's a distinctive voice. You know, it, that, that kind of stands out a little bit. I always had a couple of catchphrases I'm not particularly proud of, but you know, that's, that's <laughs> it's done now. Uh, you, just need, you just need something, you know, you just need something to hold on to really. It sounds like you went through um, a similar mental war that I went through when I started which is you feel like you're it feels like they're adding another member to the Beatles right yes and I think that's the I think that was the true. feel like when I walked into Cold Holic, I was like I kind of feel like the sort of the fifth Beatle here like mm -hmm. this is is this going to be a thing like do I need a backup for when this all blows over um, but it's it's not interesting to see that even at what culture you felt and it's not in a in a derogatory way to anybody because it's just they're an established gang of lads and they've all gone on to do great things and and they continue to do so and they continue to employ us so it's mm -hmm. fine um yeah. but it but it is that feeling of when you walk into a room and there's already big established characters you want to make a you want to make an impact uh, want to talk more about um yourself and Peter in a minute but we are here uh, mm -hmm. to put wrestling matches onto an arbitrary DVD to send you on yep. an island with. So we should return to that, really. Okay. Um, so your second match for your DVD, Ben Potter, what will it be? My second match, again, um, this is this is sort of my meandering journey into watching wrestling full-time. Uh, I say full-time, you know, as, as more of a commitment rather than a thing that I'm aware of that I'm interested in but haven't really given much thought to. Uh, this one harks back to when I would visit my cousins who watched wrestling and had wrestling games and sort of sparked my love for the ruthless aggression era, uh, especially in terms of the video games that I still play now. And it's from No Way Out 2004 and it's Brock Lesnar versus Eddie Guerrero for the WWE Championship. Amazing. Good, good, strong choice. I mean, why that one in particular, though? It was on, I believe, an Eddie Guerrero DVD that they had. And uh, I used to watch that quite a lot when I went over there but I think it was mainly because of Brock Lesnar and that was the that was one of the I mean I'm going to sound a bit silly here but I think my reaction to seeing Brock Lesnar for the first time I think was a lot of people's reactions to seeing 
Hulk Hogan for the first time. Like, this man should not physically be able to exist, right? <laughs> How on earth does someone look like that, full stop, and then move like that? And then I watched this match back last night because I haven't seen it for a long time. And it is just so amazing to see Brock Lesnar who cares. Brock Lesnar with a varied move set and arsenal who's doing promos and talking on the microphone and actively looking like he's invested and he's selling moves and he's like flip-flopping all over the place. It's incredible. The guy was amazing. And there will always be a part of me because, you know, the man is very different from the character. I think we can all agree. But there will always be a part of me that will be a big Brock Lesnar fan. I was secretly a little bit thrilled when he beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Because I thought, <laughs> if someone's going to do it, that feels like it makes sense to me. Um, but that match in particular, you know, I'd loved Eddie Guerrero. I thought he was he, I thought he was just amazing. And uh, he was phenomenal in that match. And Brock Lesnar was amazing in that match. And it was just so back and forth. And it didn't look like he was going to do it. And then he did. You know, Eddie ate the canvas a couple of times trying to do frog splashes. And it was just... It, it was just a fantastic match, but it was mainly for me the the nostalgic point that, that sticks out, that I remember going to my cousins and watching that match and thinking, wow, okay, this is, uh, for me, a bit of a step up of seeing Chainsaw Charlie get powerbombed through some chairs. Uh, this, is, this is really good. This is a really good match. And when Brock Lesnar jumps up on the ropes, somehow he makes fireworks come out of them, and that's amazing. <laughs> How does he do that? Uh, but it was incredible. I, 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 that was sort of I picked this match mainly not only because of the DVD, but because of the whole era that that it represents for me. You know, the the video game. Here comes the pain was a PS2 game that I love, and 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 I'm playing it currently on stream. Uh, but I played it to death, so I got to know that entire roster of wrestlers really well, and uh, just that whole period of TV. You know, I love the network documentary series that has sadly sort of stalled halfway through, and they're going to finish it later on about the ruthless aggression era. I think it's fascinating. I, I just love that whole period of wrestling. For me, it's it's my attitude era. Um, I, th I thought it was phenomenal. You know, there's bad points in it, of course, but that whole roster of characters I just find so compelling. You mentioned uh, earlier on in your first pick that um, wrestling is silly, but also wrestling has, you know, when it, wrestling has this ability to grab you. I'm paraphrasing a bit. <laughs> but like, so the, the story of Eddie Guerrero uh, facing Brock Lesnar, they tell the story and they own the fact that Eddie Guerrero had demons and had um, and drug issues. And a part of that was because they wanted to own it rather than it come out that their WWE champion has had uh, those kind of demons. But also, it adds to the story as this guy who's who's been to the very bottom and pushes back up to the top. Um, did, with that match, did you know well, the first time you watched it? Did you know that Eddie Guerrero won? No. No, I was did, going to. Did you think line. he was going to win? I mean, it was on a, a DVD about Eddie Guerrero, so I may have had sort of inklings that it might have gone that way, but I had no <laughs> idea. I had no idea going into it that Eddie was going to win that. Uh, it was yeah, it was it was just amazing, and th that I I took special care to watch the the hype packages, which are always so good uh, b before each of the matches I watched and uh, or have chosen, and. Uh, there was just one line in it that I just thought was so, so good and so Brock Lesnar, which is like, you're not facing your demons on Sunday, Eddie. You're facing me. And then it's just like this massive Hulk man 
just <laughs> flexing and making fireworks come out of rings. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just incredibly compelling. It was just an incredibly compelling uh, match, and the, uh, uh, the the video package beforehand really highlighted that. It really went into his struggles and how he's beating those demons, and uh, and then he managed to beat Big Brock, the Vanilla Gorilla himself. <laughs> I've never heard him call the Vanilla Gorilla. Have you not? That's Appar- a new one on me. Apparently, that's something they called him backstage, the Vanilla Gorilla. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that. I'm a big yeah. fan of that. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You stepped away from what culture and you ended up doing stuff uh, with the Yogs cast people. Uh, how did you find uh, being in a different office but with your boy Peter still? It was weird and surreal. Um, we were creatively unfulfilled at what culture, but here we were completely let loose uh, to a fault, really. I think some managerial. Uh, presence perhaps would have been sensible not because we ever did anything that outlandish although we did make a video where i ran peter over with my car Mm -hmm. Uh, but just because we we had we had had hands in in what culture in, in keeping you know a channel stocked that's what peter did for the gaming channel he uploaded things and scheduled them and made sure things you know were going out um but we'd never run a business before you know and we didn't really have any we didn't really get any help in that department from Yogscast. And this isn't to say that they did anything wrong. And this isn't to say that we're not extremely grateful and 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 happy for our time there. But because we could do whatever we wanted, we sort of didn't really know what we should do. You know, we we did what we felt was right and we'd always wanted to work for the Yogscast anyway. And of course, you know, Michael Johnson was there with us as well. We can't forget Mikey. Uh, oh, it was a no. huge part in, in bringing the vision of, of Vidyots to life, which was just this, I think someone someone described it as a kids morning, Saturday morning TV show, except you're allowed to say, you know, rude words that I'm not going to repeat here. And it was kind of that. We just did whatever we wanted. We, we 
had this this mad sort of set of shows that were all very strange and quite different and it was about video games but it was sort of not about video games at the same time uh we 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 just sort of did what we wanted and um it it sadly came to an end i think before we before we were ready for it to come to an end but you know you, you these you get put on these paths and you don't know where you're going to end i wouldn't be here if if it hadn't ended and i think i think my life has has ultimately worked out for the better because of it ending but at the time it was very it was a very difficult pill to swallow because we felt we had more to give we thought we were doing good stuff there and uh, we felt that perhaps with the right assistance we could really grow it into something that would last something that would be quite big so uh, so i by the sound of it it wasn't your decision to to call time on Oh, absolutely. Not. Stuff with Yogscast. No, no. no, no, definitely not. We were we were a special case there at Yogscast because they are they're a network of channels ultimately, and they have they have core staff who are paid a wage. But usually, people make their own money, and by being part of the network, they pay money back in. Uh, we we were a special case in that we were brought in as as an investment, and uh, and so you know when they they didn't get an immediate return on that investment, it made business sense to. To, to, to terminate us and to terminate the the investment, which, you know, it's perfectly, we understand the business logic behind it. We still felt that uh, we could have done more and uh, and that more could have been done to make it a success. But, you know, there's no hard feelings on that front. We, it's just, it is business. It's business at the end of the day. We haven't talked enough about Mikey, and I think we should mm. before mm-hmm. we, we move on in our tale. Um, <clears throat> so Michael Johnson is... is the the editor behind Vidiots, and we still hear him on the odd occasion. I believe he was on Triple Jump just before Christmas as well, doing some bits with you guys as well. But what's the story behind uh, how you guys got together with Mikey? So Mikey Johnson was always this haywire <coughs> sort of internet meme kid, uh, and he was incredible at what culture. He was hands down probably the best editor there. He could just make. He was just so brilliantly strange and we could tell that he was he he was just this fountain of 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 humor and and comedic moments waiting to happen if he had the right platform and we when it came time to leave we really wanted to bring him along not just as a as an editor but because his input would genuinely genuinely be very helpful to us to to just make something unique and special and uh when we ended up getting there he you know he designed all of our assets and he really helped cultivate the look of what Vidiots became. Uh, we did end up splitting editing between all three of us. So we all we all did our fair share. Uh, but he was just the way he transformed from just being behind the camera to being in front of it was, I think, and, and he, he faced a lot of unfair criticism as well because a lot of people who followed us over there were just there for Peter and I. And when he started appearing in front of camera, exactly as we spoke about earlier, he, he was subject to a lot of vitriol, which was really, really harsh and really unfair. And I think he proved them all wrong because he wasn't intended to be a presenter, but he ended up becoming one. And he ended up becoming such a core part of what Vidiots was that I don't think anyone who doubted him in the beginning can deny what he ended up doing for for sort of our, our, our image and and what we ended up outputting. Um, obviously, we had <clears throat> um, Mikey was up in the northeast recently. Are there plans to do uh, even more stuff with Mikey going forward? Yes, 
Absolutely. Um, you know, we still we still keep Vidiots alive in a sense, sort of as a side project. We were able to, you know, Yogscast were very gracious and allowed us to just sort of continue doing it, you know, as and when we can. And uh, that's mainly in podcast form now. But uh, we recently got to episode 50 of the podcast we do with Vidiots uh, called Podiots. And uh, he he was going to be flown up for episode 50. But then, you know, everything went to crap. So... <laughs> We have we've decided to just, you know, because we're the masters of our own fate, we just skipped episode 50 and we'll come back to it when we're ready. Uh, so when this is all over, yes, absolutely. He'll be back up here. We'll do more stuff on on Triple Jump. We want to get him back in the kitchen doing episodes of main menu, cooking some video game recipes. And, uh, you know, because he doesn't he doesn't come back up. Obviously, all his family's up here. He doesn't come back up here very often, but uh, we'd love to. We'd love to get him up here as soon as possible and record more stuff with him, for sure. So we look forward to seeing Mikey uh, as part of the 50th episode. So you've just parked 50 and you're just carrying on the numbers, aren't you? Yeah, why not? Why not? We might do the same with uh, 69 as well, because I don't think we could ever do that justice. We'll just skip straight to 70. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously we've talked a lot lot about uh, your time at Yogscast, your time at What Culture, but now uh, you're now as part of Cultaholic now, as Mm -hmm. a part of... Uh, Triple Jump is now part of Cultaholic, but tell us about that conversation where uh, you sort of found yourself booking uh, once again tickets in the direction of Newcastle. Well, the the writing was on the wall uh, for for videos. We could we could all sort of tell that it was uh, it was going to be coming to an end, and this was about uh, September time. You know, way before it ended up being canned, uh, we we could tell that. It just, the numbers weren't drastically improving. And, you know, the, reasonably, we, d- we did all that we could, really, you know, in the space of a year. We, we, did, we did everything that we could to make that a success. And in many metrics, it was extremely successful. It just didn't do what the Oxcast needed it to do. But we could tell that things weren't going in the right direction. So when I went to EGX, um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't even for, it, w- it wasn't even for, for business, it was just it was just for pleasure. And uh, EGX is a is a video game convention. It's, I think it's probably one of the one of, if not the largest in the UK. Uh, takes place in, in various locations. It was in Birmingham at the time at the NEC, and uh, I bumped into Adam Pacitti there. And I thought that's strange. What's Adam Pacitti? I know Adam Pacitti plays games, but I don't think he he would care enough to come to EGX. That seems bizarre. So we hung out for a bit and uh, had a couple of beers, and then. I'd heard a couple of times through the grapevine that uh, Cultaholic were considering setting up a gaming channel, but I'd never heard anything con- concrete about it. And so I sent him a message uh, sort of the following week, just saying, ah, oh, really good to see you. Also, I heard you might be considering setting up a gaming channel. Is there any truth to this? And he just replied and said something like, uh, yeah, uh, we, we are. Uh, are you free for a chat next week? I'm like, okay. So then we had a phone call and he uh, he explained what he was looking at doing. And he, I mean, we say it a lot in the office anyway, but Adam Pacitti, world's best boss, right? Mm, uh, he's come from an environment, so. as we all have, where management has not been great. And he has actively gone above and beyond to make sure that it is never like that, having experienced it firsthand. And so he basically... In, in in pretty much these words, guaranteed us a job if we wanted it, if idiots fell through. 
So that safety net was extremely appreciated. And, you know, at that point, it's not like we had a great deal of, of, of offers going through, coming through because we weren't advertising that we thought that it was going to come to an end, obviously, because that would be terrible business. But I, I, I trusted Adam and he clearly trusted me. And uh, I, was, I was open and honest with him and told him, I don't, I don't know how much road this has left. And, uh, and he said, well, you know, you, you, if you guys want to come up here, then you can. And so I spoke to Peter and Mikey about it. And uh, Mikey, he's in his element in Bristol. You know, he's, he's, he's a quirky vegan fella who loves the arts. And Bristol is just the perfect place for him to be. He loves what he does. Uh, and Yogscast also said that they'd be able to find positions for us if, if videos did come to an end. Um, or at least they did say that once it had come to an end. They said, you know, we can probably find positions for you internally to, to work with us. And Mikey ended up taking that job and staying there. But Peter and I took up Adam and uh, moved back up to Newcastle and uh, and started up Triple Jump as a result. Wasn't called Triple Jump first though, was it? No, that wasn't. It actually went <laughs> through a couple happened? of different name iterations. Uh, we briefly, we coming up with a channel name is really hard and coming up with a gaming <laughs> channel name is especially hard. We came up with a quick save initially which is something you can do on PC. You know, you quick save. It's a bit sort of cheaty. Uh, however, that's also very similar to the name of uh, to, to the name of a, a brand of or a chain of budget supermarkets. So we decided against that ultimately, and we went with double jump. We thought, why not? Let's go with double jump. That sounds good. I then heard from a friend of mine literally the day before it all kicked off that oh, uh, just so you know. I've worked in it, it's uh, he works in in video production as well. I don't know why I'm scared. It's Tom Ransom, Tom Ransom, who I used to work with at What Culture <laughs> and uh, and who now runs the very successful, you know, all these all this successful al alumni from What Culture. Uh, he now runs the MMA on Point channel. Um, and he said, by the way, I've done some work with um, such and such and such and such, whose company is called Double Jump, something or other. And they are very protective of that IP, just so you know. And I was like, oh, man, OK, well, thanks for letting me know. The very next day, we get letters addressed to Adam, myself and Peter with a cease and desist, basically, which they were, you know, again, there's absolutely no hard feelings here whatsoever. They were well within their rights to say, mm, you're infringing on our copyright by using that name. And it was because, while I don't understand a huge amount about copyright law, if, if there was a plumbing services uh, called Double Jump, a plumbing company called Double Jump, or a, uh, a, a construction company called Double Jump, that would be fine because they compete in totally separate fields to this Double Jump who would come after us. But because they also work in video games, that is a broad enough spectrum, despite the fact that they provide professional video services and we were, you know, sort of a, a media company across YouTube and Twitch and all that kind of stuff. The because the broad strokes were similar enough they could ask us to change our names and they did and i was actually recording an episode of playstation radio uk when i got that text from adam saying okay we need to have a chat because there's a problem and i said it to simon and he said why don't you just call it triple jump as a joke <laughs> and i replied and said could we call it triple jump and adam said let me check yes we can and uh, and we ended up calling it Triple Jump as a result of that, which was immediately sort of just a knee jerk. Well, we'll just call it Triple Jump then. Wouldn't that be funny? Uh, although now the algorithm does confuse us for the athletics competition 
Triple Jump, <laughs> uh, which, you know, we're slowly claiming back. If you search Triple Jump on YouTube in incognito, we're getting there. We're climbing up the rankings. Triple Jump will be ours soon. It won't I think there's something the wonderful a- the about, the, about the fact that it was Simon who was there at the very beginning of your journey. <laughs> yes. Who was the one that, that helped name the, the, the channel. I think there's something really lovely about that. Mm. Yeah, it was, it was poetic. Something that you miss from Bristol? Snappy's tomato pizza. Nice. This is uh, something that, uh, that has become almost uh, meme-worthy within our community because I won't shut up about it. It was this... It's a chain of pizza restaurants. They had... A, I think they had a couple in Bristol. There's one, one in Birmingham and a couple in other locations. I have emailed them to ask if they would consider opening one in Newcastle. And I've never... Tom, I've never had a reply. They've never, what? the cowards have never replied to me. It was, <laughs> it was a square pizza, right? It came in a square box and it was a square pizza. And that blew my mind that you could maximize the, the, the square footage of pizza, to, the pizza to box ratio. There'd be no space wasted. Because with the circle, you've got so much pizza real estate that goes unclaimed. And it just felt like such a waste of space. And this was amazing because not only was it cheap, it was actually really good. It was surprisingly one of those rare takeaway places that you find that is affordable, but doesn't do that crap kebab shop pizza you get everywhere. You know, it was really special to me and I ordered from it a lot and I really miss it a lot. And I, I would have that back. And, you know, of course, Mikey, but, I, you know, the snappies. That's <laughs> Let's the focus one. on snappies. That's the one I want. Um, I, I get the feeling that, that pizza is your favourite food. It's certainly up there, yeah. Because because I base it on the... Obviously, we've had this nice discussion about square pizza. Mm. Um, the, the, your, your top pin tweet, that always made me laugh, I need to find out where you got it from, uh, is the massive <laughs> pizza that was delivered to your house that time. Yes. And yeah. I seem to remember watching you playing... You, you were about to do a playthrough... And you said, oh, I'm going to play this for a couple of hours, then I'm going to go home and order pizza, and then I'm going to have a bad stomach. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I've heard you mention pizza a couple of times. I just, I got the vibe that pizza was your fave. Pizza is it's very important to me. It's the, <laughs> it's the, the great equaliser, as I think Michael Scott says. It's, <laughs> it's, just, it's just so easy, and it's so... Deli- even there is a saying that we actually disproved on main menu recently but i think largely it holds true and that there's no such thing as bad pizza or any 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 bad pizza is still good pizza uh, we ended up making a pizza on main menu that was absolutely horrific and so disgusting that it that that's just not true but i do still believe that a hot pizza from anywhere is good and uh, you can't say that about chicken and you can't say that about burgers, but you can say it about pizza. It's it's hard. It's a hard one to get wrong. Basically. Yeah, it is. Um, with um, with coming back to Newcastle, what was something you were looking forward to seeing or trying again? <sighs> um, I like it here. Uh, it's the people are nice. It's affordable. It's a beautiful city. You can get Greg's delivered to your house. It's. Um, <laughs> It's just a really nice place. It was a place where I have a lot of memories up here, really positive memories of uh, almost escaping, you know, because I lived at home with my parents for a long time after university, and that was really hard. And uh, and I really tried to, 
to get away and I couldn't. Not because my parents were keeping me there, just because I couldn't get work that would allow me to move away. And when I finally got work in London, um, where I worked in, in game development for six months and then and then went up to what culture, that was amazing. But I was in a shared house because London's expensive. Uh, and it wasn't, it was freedom, but it was limited freedom. But when I moved up to Newcastle, it was totally different. I had my own place for the first time ever. Uh, you know, I could go and visit friends in town and they would come over to mine. It was, it was just sort of a, a real, it was, it was where I feel like I, I grew the most as a person was there. Not only because I, I, I got way more confident because of what I was doing for a living at that point, um, and my self-confidence grew, but it was just, I just really like Newcastle. I, I, I think it's just a really nice place. And, and, and I did miss it when I lived in Bristol. Has self-confidence been a thing that you've struggled with? Oh, of course. Yeah. I think everyone does, unless you're some kind of sociopath or you're <laughs> lying. Uh, no, I think everyone does. I was, I was a fat child and I was a fat teenager and a fat adult for a long time. And, uh, my, I didn't want to do stuff on camera. I didn't want to, I only wanted to do voice stuff. Uh, I didn't have the majestic facial hair that I have now. Uh, there was a lot of stuff where I just, I just didn't feel, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I wanted to, to be. I felt stuck. There were several points where I just didn't want to be alive anymore. I think a lot of people go through that at various times in their lives. Some people worse than others. And I was fortunate in that it never got too bad. And I know a lot of people have really, really tough times. But self-confidence is something that, that, I, that I always struggled with. And it would, it would affect me so much so that when I got opportunities to do voiceover or attend uh, press events for, for game stuff, my knee-jerk reaction would be to say no because I was scared of going, because I didn't feel like I should. And uh, working in the field that I have done for the last four, five years or so has really helped me actually realize, you know what, just go and do it, just do it. Why the hell not? That's, if you wanna do it, go and do it. And uh, so yeah, it, was, it, it has, it really, it really changed things. Working for What Culture really changed things for me in a big way. When you talked about um... You said you're a fat child, a fat adult, hmm. and obviously when people see you now. That 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 wouldn't wouldn't even enter your your head. Right. Was there a moment in in the, in your life where you went, do you know what? Something needs to change now. Yes, and I still have the photo saved on my phone to remind me. Uh, oh wow! It was uh, Christmas. In fact, actually, this is this is weirdly appropriate because I was looking at this the other day, and I've still got it. This piece of paper that I keep in my desk. Uh, tracks my weight loss from and it, this is just sort of an indication of when I actually started caring my weight loss from the from January 2015 so it was Christmas 2014 uh was when I was at, we took a family photo and I saw it on Facebook and I was disgusted and I I had such there's no motivator quite like self-loathing and I saw myself and just thought stop something's got to change here and uh, as you said, so I started running and I cut out sugar um, and I, I slowly lost weight over a couple of years. Uh, but it was when I went to London and I started feeding myself and I started going to the gym that really it started to kick up and I lost a load of weight. And I maintained that for quite a while through what culture as well, because I was going to the gym a lot. 
uh, went through some rough times in Bristol, which I've talked generally about. Uh, Peter did as well. It was it was a tough year for for a variety of reasons, and as a result, I put on a fair bit of weight then into early 2019 as well. And I had a God, I had a rough 2019 as well. But I reached a point in 2019 where I thought I'm tired of feeling sorry for myself. I kind of if I if I pick myself back up and start eating healthily and start exercising properly again. I'm doing it for me and that's something that I can focus on for me. So I've I've tried really hard and you know I do like to eat a lot of pizza but that's that's only one of the motivations for exercising for me now is is that you know I get to uh I get to eat pizza but also I I just get to feel a bit more happy wearing the clothes th- that I wear and I can see myself on camera and not feel bad which is what I did for a good portion of 2018. How are you finding keeping that regimen up? at the moment in lockdown now it's i feel like if anything i'm in better shape than i was before i went into lockdown uh because my running route is on the quayside and in i don't eat a great deal during the day anyway uh just out of habit and uh so i'm able to find that i can take myself out for a run in lieu of a lunch break and just go run along the quayside come back do my sort of limited free weights and core exercise routine and and just be done with it. And then the weekend is sort of treat time where I can drink alcohol and eat pizza and stuff. But it, uh, working from home, I find myself, I find it far easier to stick to it, you know? Um, I don't know if you're, if you're having a similar experience because um, I know a lot of people are struggling working from home. But I find for me, it's, it's really helping me have a, have a proper routine to, to include exercise. It's it's getting there like with me personally like the finding the routine has taken a while like to the point where like the because I, because I live with my good lady and it's said it's balancing that work life and home life and not always being in work mode and and so uh, to the point where m- my trick now is so the 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 cultaholic stuff is in the spare room it's now the office right and uh, I've put office hours on the front door on the door of the spare room okay. To the point where I go, right, to stop me going too overboard, these are my allotted hours. And if I can stick to them, great. Um, and it just it's just more than anything. It just helps me once I get to the end of a working day rather than sort of staying in and going, I'll do a bit of that. I'll do a bit of that. I'll do a bit of that. It allows me to go, I'm now going to go into the next room, which is now switch off time. Or what I've started doing is I'll go for I'll go for a long walk. I'll go for my walk of the day my government sanctioned walk as yes. soon as I finish the shift for the day. So then right. therefore I leave the, I've, it's the, for me, it's the mental approach of I'm going to mm. physically leave the house at the end of the day, working day and physically return to the house at the end of, at the start of the, the home time now, Yeah, <laughs> which is, which has helped me immensely. I don't know if you're as regimented as that though. I, th- I think that's a phenomenal way to do it though. I think you're, you're absolutely, and may I just say, Tom, you've definitely lost weight. Oh, stop it. it. Come on. No, you have. You look great. Stop it. Oh, uh, it's it's it all on my belly. Just been drinking. Oh, no, you, just been you do. You look when you, cake. When you, <laughs> when, you, when you dropped off that um, memory card to me the other week, because we don't live too far away from each other, uh, you dropped it off to me. You know, you put, you put it down and you backed away, as, as we should. Absolutely. Uh, because you needed me to upload it for you. Uh, I thought then, man, Tom's lost weight. So oh. I think, you know, it's... Uh, it's. I, th- I think it's. It's definitely working. But you're. You're absolutely bang on. I think there's. Um, oh. There are little things you can do working from home. You know, making your bed, putting on people clothes, 
working in one room and relaxing in another. Or as you said, that's a great way to do it. Just make going outside the end of your working day. And then when you come back, it feels different, you know? Yeah, it's all, it's all a mental game. Um, mm. we'll, we'll, we need to get to one more match on your wrestling yep. DVD. Um, it's what I like about these. It's, it's tangent-inducive. It's good. Mm. Before we get there, though, um, I'm going to also allow you to take, as well as this wrestling DVD, you're allowed to take a movie, an album, and a luxury item. Okay. So, your movie, what movie would you take with you, Ben? I'm taking Hot Rod with me. I don't oh, know if you're familiar with nice. Hot Rod. Why uh, Hot Rod? I love Hot Rod. Hot Rod, <laughs> I think, is one of my favourite films. It is by no means the best film, but I find it endlessly... I'm a huge Lonely Island fan, and I love Andy Samberg and... I think it's his name. Kiva Tacombe and... Uh, no, Yorma Tacombe and Akiva Schaefer, I believe is what they call. I've probably got that all wrong. Uh, but I think they're fantastic. And they were a big part of my my teenage years is watching their, their, their albums and their skits and their music videos and stuff. I just thought they were so good. And they put this film together. You know, so two of them were in it. One of them directed it. It was originally intended for Will Ferrell, but Will Ferrell didn't end up taking part. I think he just produced in the end. And so it starred Andy Samberg. It's just about this... Uh, this this small town idiot who wants to be a stuntman who thinks his dad was best mates with Evil Knievel or something, and it's just him and his stupid friends doing progressively more and more stupid. It's got a great cast. I think it's really quotable. It's really funny. Every scene has something stupid happen in it, and I have the soundtrack, and I I love the soundtrack. I've listened to it so many times, and it's uh, it's just this brilliant glam rock eighties metal soundtrack it's it's just a phenomenal i just love that film it always makes me happy whenever i watch it how about an album jack johnson's in between dreams oh beautiful i love beautiful jack album was yeah. that sort of that was just before we did the curious george soundtrack if mm-hmm. i remember correctly mm-hmm. yeah where, where did you discover jack johnson through this album uh that was when he had real success in the uk with a couple of hits uh better together and uh i think maybe banana pancakes or it may be just in between dreams actually the the title album uh title song but um i got the album and i loved it it was just it's, he's just a relaxed hawaiian guy all of his music sounds exactly the same but i love it and i have all his albums and i saw him live at the at the o2 in london when he toured a while ago and i just think he's brilliant um he's he's not for everyone because as i said his music does all sound the same but i just find it really i think it's just really lovely music and that album in particular is just particularly uh beautiful i think and a luxury item i alluded to it earlier on but it's got to be a game boy color and a copy of pokemon blue oh. If that counts as one luxury item, I don't know how strict the rules are. Nah, um, no, it's fine. We can plug the game into the Game Boy. That counts as one item. I can never take it out, though. Otherwise, the world ends. Plus, you get sand in it. Yeah, well, that's true. Don't want that. So you don't want to risk that, really, do no. you? So that makes sense. I, I, but you can't take your batteries. So good luck. Oh, for God. <laughs> Tom, come on. You've got to give me something. We will hide. Okay, in true video game style, we will hide four batteries around the island. Okay, joke's on you because I only need two for a Game Boy Color, so that's fine. Oh, well, that's half the, that's half the battle already <laughs> done then. Um, before we get to. Um, in fact, no, we'll do this now. We'll do your final wrestling match and mm-hmm. then we'll talk a bit more about sort of uh, going forward with Triple Jump. But your okay. final wrestling match sir what are you choosing for your dvd so just to recap we've had um 
we had the eight-man tag from No Way Out 98. Mm -hmm. We have had Brock Lesnar versus Eddie Guerrero from No Way Out 2004. So two mm. No Way Out matches. Yeah, are we going for a trivecta of February pay-per-view-based action? We're not. We are going for the match that I heard about online and I thought, you know what? I can watch this if I want. I'm at that point in my life where if I wanted to watch this, I could. And I did. And it's from that point on that I watched every Monday Night Raw and SmackDown uh, for about three or four years. And it's The Rock versus John Cena from WrestleMania 28. I watched it last night. Not a great match. I understand that. But <laughs> for me, as I said at the start, it, it represents for me the turning point where as an adult, I realized I can actually... I can just watch this now. You know, I don't need Sky. There are ways I can watch this. Um, and uh, yeah, that that's what kickstarted my love. And it was, I didn't watch, the idea of The Rock versus John Cena was enough to get me to tune in. But the rest of that card, I also thought was really good. You know, you had uh, Triple H against The Undertaker with Shawn Michaels in the, I think it was Hell in a Cell, I believe, at WrestleMania 28. Um, where they all sort of help each other limp up the yeah, uh, that's it. And they all the walk up the top. The end. Yeah, that was a powerful moment. And then, of course, I got to see CM Punk for the first time, and I thought this guy is amazing. I like this guy, and uh, and you know, somebody called Brodus Clay's mama, and we all got that big dance move, didn't we? That was uh, <laughs> that was something special. But it was from that point on, after that, that I tuned in on Monday. And I think Lesnar returned the following night as well. And I think that is really what cemented it for me. Like, oh my God, if if Bork Lasers returned, then I've got to, <laughs> I've clearly just got to watch this now, haven't I? Uh, so it, while the match itself isn't going to go down in the history books as, you know, anything special beyond lying about being once in a lifetime, I I think that 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 is, it's important to me because I watched religiously after that and got so engrossed in wrestling I've, i backed way off i just don't there's too much wrestling i didn't have enough time uh, and i ended up just sticking to nxt and now watching the pay-per-views the big pay-per-views for for the main roster but um it was the rock versus john cena that got me into wrestling properly that got me to start watching wrestling properly can you remember who you were behind in that match i think it was probably the rock Mm. It was probably The Rock. Um, you know, I knew all about John Cena, obviously. And at that point, my naive mind wasn't uh, sort of a member of the IWC or the, you know, a smart mark or whatever. So I, d I had no reason to hate John Cena. I then, of course, developed a reason to hate John Cena because uh, he was kicks out of two, uh, five moves of doom. Am I right, guys? <laughs> uh, which, of course, when you look back on it now, you're like, actually, John Cena was really good. And yeah, he should have lost some matches. But uh, anyway... At the time, I had no reason to hate either of them, but I knew The Rock, and he was a big movie star, and it was cool to see him wrestling. So, probably The Rock. It's it's a it's a tough one because obviously what we do is for wrestling fans. So, you know, the the, the following statement may be misconstrued, but um, I find that sometimes like too much uh, wrestling fans can take away from wrestling itself. You know, you you focus too much on sort of like you say, like you watch that match with with a with a wonderful 
non-IWC based lens on it and yeah. you you enjoy and I imagine that as soon as you watched it as you say there it was sort of like oh no you, you this is why John Cena's bad and this and this and this and this and this mm-hmm. uh, but I think with with fandoms in general uh, there is you if you can you can enjoy something on a base level and still enjoy it and if you go too deep sometimes you can find yourself um, to, to, to use some wrestling parlance working yourself into a shoot yes and, and falling out of love with it all together is it very similar in the gaming community uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I d- to, to give a quick example similar to it, uh, I had the same thing with Game of Thrones, which I think we can all agree didn't end great. But certainly the mm-hmm. last two seasons, I was watching it in a bubble. I wasn't part of an online community or discussion. And at one point, I liked a Facebook page that posted Game of Thrones memes. And immediately I started seeing all these negative reactions to things and thinking, oh, they're right, actually, that was stupid. And then I thought, no, 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 close this. Unlike this page, because you're actually really enjoying it before people started telling you what was stupid about it. Uh, exactly the same thing happens with games. That's why I think it's so important to go into games that you're interested in completely blind. Uh, of course, at the time of recording this week, The Last of Us Part Two, a very highly anticipated video game that's going to have, you know, going to be all about the story and the characters, has suffered a massive leak from supposedly a former disgruntled employee, and that's such a shame because especially with games. I mean, when you get online trolls, there's sadly a very good chance that they like video games. And there's a there's sort of a disproportionate amount of trolls in the video game appreciating community online. And so spoilers get posted everywhere. People get in ridiculous arguments about which console is better. There's a lot of, you know, hatred for no good reason, really. If you're able to follow along with news but still just avoid comments or separate yourself from social media or certain aspects of social media then you can still go into games blind and really enjoy them uh, but if you if like you know like us if it's your job you sort of have to get in there and wade around amongst negative opinions sometimes you just have to to be able to report objectively on them or, or, or on the reaction to certain things happening and it does it does affect your opinion on games sometimes but if you can separate yourself, I do. I do encourage that you do that because it's the best way to to in, enjoy what you enjoy. We're nearly out of time with yourself, Ben. Uh, it's been really lovely to chat to you. Like, it's, what's nice is I'll, I want to give a quick personal story before we go deeper into mm-hmm. it. Um, I, I was I was a fan of yours from the What Culture days, where before uh, I even could fathom that we would end up sort of, sort of working <laughs> together. I was always a fan of your work, and um, you. as you've mentioned earlier, we we live near each other. And there was an occasion where I nipped to the shops and I saw you and I saw you walking to work. And I even re- and I remember going, hi, Ben. And bless you, you said hi back. You didn't know me from Adam. Um, but I remember coming back and saying to Alex, I've just seen Ben from, from what culture? That's cool. That's cool. Seems like a nice man. And then you <laughs> left. And then you came back up to Newcastle and you end up mm-hmm. living roughly in the same area again. And mm-hmm. I'd uh, been to watch WrestleMania in Leeds. And I got back into Newcastle at nine o'clock in the morning and I'd had a lot to drink so I stank a bit and but it was the as I was walking back near where where I live you were walking to work and mm. I remember in my in this felt like a real clever thing to do as you walked past I went welcome back and you kind of went thank you yeah. thinking who is this weird man that smells of beer that has welcomed <laughs> me back and from where so <laughs> 
it's nice to be able to sit with you and actually tell you that story now as opposed to as I did walking away going that was a really weird thing to do I don't know why I did that <laughs> I mean I want to reassure you I, I couldn't smell anything thank the, you the, my reaction was not based on smell at all I was just really thrown I was like should I know who you are do, do, um, should I have we met before because it was really it was a very strange thing to have said to you apropos of nothing I was so shocked by it and uh, I still remember when I came in to work for the first time into the office and you were there and I was like oh my god it's you that's who you are stop following me no it, it wasn't that at all it was like okay so surely the reason you've said hello is because clearly our fields of interest crossover there's a venn diagram there where we coexist and that makes sense why you've said hello to me before uh, and i think i said to you at the time oh i remember you you said hello to me the other day i was like i'm so sorry i did i was so confused by it yeah you, and as i said you shouldn't because just because you how are you to expect to know who i was even the time <laughs> went why did i do that that's just a weird thing to do to a stranger but um but it's it's ace that we get to chat now and it's ace to see triple yes. jump going from strength to strength to strength and what would you like to see happen with triple jump uh, in the next say in the next 12 months and then maybe further on to the next five years what would you love to see happen i would like to uh pass a hundred thousand subscribers ideally uh video gaming on youtube is such a competitive field and you really have to carve out your own niche because you're up against ign you're up against established gaming outlets you're up against let's players with you know who get millions of views just watching them play the latest game that comes out how on earth can you hope to compete with that how, how on earth can you even begin to step to people who have a platform like that? So growing our really dedicated, wonderful core audience uh, to, to 100,000 is a milestone that I would really love to hit, just for me personally, uh, not even necessarily for the channel's benefit. Just I would like to see that. I would like that to grow it to that size. And we're on track to do it, hopefully before the end of the year. We'll see. Um, but... I think I would like to see the I'd like to see the the presenting pool grow. I'd like to see it in the long term become somewhat similar to Cultaholic, because while we have the grandest of plans, we don't have the man or woman power as it currently stands. Um, and as we grow, we're going to be in a position where we can afford to bring more people in. You know, we're currently hiring a full time video editor, which is going to free up more time for Peter and I to focus on other things and hopefully get more content made and make more money and bring more staff in. But I'd love it to reach the point where it becomes a case of Peter and I not having to present everything because I, I love that. And I love that the channel's built around us. It's wonderful. And it's really flattering that, that Adam trusts us to even do that and have that be the case. But at some point, I would love it to reach the point where we've got someone who does this show and someone who does this show, much like Cultaholic does. Uh, and and that would be that would be the long term goal for me It's just growing it so that it's, it's sustainable. And should there be a point where either Peter or I decide it's time to walk away from it and do something else, that it can continue without us. That's that's what I want. I want it to be able to exist without us having to be there. Not that we have any plans of going anywhere, but I would like that's that's the long term goal, I think. I'm glad that you put that out there. Not that we're planning on going anywhere. No, we're not going anywhere. But if we were to go somewhere, a channel that would be able to continue without us, I think would be the greatest success that we could that we could hope for with Triple Jump. Where can people find you online, sir? I am on Twitter 
at uh, confused underscore dude, and I'm on Instagram at uh, at Ben Potter twenty. I do triple jump. It's a it's a video game channel. You can just search triple jump or youtube.com forward slash team triple jump. We stream a lot at the moment now that we're at home. Twitch.tv forward slash team triple jump. Uh, as as you've said, I do I do a podcast in my spare time from time to time called PlayStation Radio UK. We also do podiats on the side as well, sort of a, a silly comedy podcast if you're into that sort of thing. And uh, I'm just doing a bit of everything really. Just doing doing what I can, staying busy, doing voiceover. You want some voiceover? Let me know. I do things. <laughs> Whatever. I hustle. I'm good for voiceovers, but when all this blows over, I may need my cat being fed. If oh, that's could... fine. That's, that's something doing? you've done before as well, bless you. But yeah, you how's do... Pablo doing? Is Pablo okay? He's all right, actually. I think he's sick to death of us living here all the time. Uh, he he may just wants start... his classic FM, doesn't he? he? He does. He does love his classic FM. And he's not getting enough of it at the moment. He's just getting us two talking at him all the time. We tried to put a bow tie <laughs> on him yesterday. And oh, he wasn't God. having it. I know. I feel like How bad. undignified. I know. But, but get Ben for voiceovers and stuff. Um, at, is it confused underscore dude? Yes, on Twitter, yeah. Why confused dude? It sounded nice. Fair enough. It just, it just phonetically, it sounded nice in my head. I made it when I was probably 13 or 14, before the PS3 came out, because you could pre-register your online ID and I needed something. And confused dude just sounded nice in my head and I just sort of stuck with it ever since. Remain a confused dude, Ben Potter. Remain a confused dude. dude. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Cultaholic Wrestling News.